Good morning. How are y'all doing? Okay. You know what this is? Anybody know what this is? Well, right now, the yoke's on me. Ha, 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 ha. See what I did there? Yeah, it's not funny to you at all, is it? What? Don't egg me on, Jimmy. You crack me up. All right. So anybody know what this is? Antlers. Well, that's a good idea. Like maybe for Bowinkle, a bad Bowinkle. So I need, Esther, can you stand up? Okay. And uh, Zoe, can you stand up? All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to put this on your shoulders. Just kind of lean forward a little bit. There you go. That's heavy? Yeah, it's kind of heavy. Really? What if I pulled on it a little bit? Okay, so this is called a yoke, and it would be put onto the necks of two oxes, oxen, Okay, and then the farmer would tie ropes to the ends of it, and the ox would go down the field, and he would have a plow behind it with the ropes attached, and he would plow. You can sit down again if you want to. But this is called a yoke, and you said it was heavy? How would you like to have this tied to your neck and walk around all day with it on? And the other part of it is you always had to have another ox. See, it's made for two oxes to pull together, Right? So it's heavy, but it was something that farmers used to plow their fields. That's how they, before they had tractors, that's what they would use. And I want to read you a verse. So you said this was heavy. Okay? So listen to this. Jesus says this to us. Are you ready? Take my yoke upon you. How does that sound? Does that sound like a good idea no. to put a yoke on every day? No. no? He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now listen to this. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if we go through life pulling this yoke, like all the time, it's heavy, it weighs us down, it slows us down. You could say it's kind of like our sin, the, the parts of us that aren't good, and it weighs us down in life. But Jesus says that his yoke is light. And if we take his yoke upon our shoulders, we can learn from him, we can grow, we can um, be gentle and lowly in heart, humble, and we can find rest for our souls. How does that sound? Rest for your soul. That sounds pretty good. Okay. Well, so Jesus wants you to know that sometimes life is difficult, but when we trust in him, our burdens are lighter, our hopes are brighter, and his love is what is the most important thing in the world. And if we wear that, if we wear the love of Jesus on our shoulders, our, our steps are lighter. Our future is brighter. How's that? Does that work? 
Okay. So you want to walk around with this yoke on or the yoke of Jesus' love? That sounds better. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that the yoke of your love through your son Jesus Christ is light and that it guides us and helps us to grow into the men and women of God that you called us to be. That the burdens of our hearts can be taken by your son on the cross and lifted from us and that we can have hope and light and joy in our lives and even peace and rest. And we pray these blessings over these precious children as they study more of your word and hope for kids. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Lead them into a deeper understanding of your love for them through Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great time in Hope for Kids. Anybody want the yoke? The uh, yoke's on me still. All right. All right. That's a good look for you. Will you join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's word this morning? God, our loving Father, we thank you for um, this place and time to come together in your presence and to open your word. We pray that as we open your word, you would open our hearts, that you would speak to us this morning through the presence and power of your Holy Spirit as we engage with your word move within us to grow us more and more into the men and women of God that you created us to be. And Father, we acknowledge that um, much of what we put in the way of that growth is um, in need of your grace, that we have sin and doubt and fear that we carry into uh, this time. And so we lay all of that at the foot of your cross, and we thank you for the forgiveness and mercy and grace that are ours in Jesus Christ. Lord, we give you uh, the relationships in our lives that are strained. We pray for peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We lift before you those whom we know and love who are sick or recovering from medical procedures or facing uncertain diagnoses, and we pray your healing mercies over your people. We lift up especially Yolanda Clifton as she is uh, having shoulder surgery tomorrow. We just pray that you would guide the hands of those doctors, nurses, and technicians through that procedure and restore her, uh, take away her pain, and restore her to full health and function quickly. Uh, We also lift up the continued recovery of Joshua Johnson as he uh, is shifting from uh, recovering physically to recovering emotionally from uh, being set back and and just uh, the wounds and the pain and all that he's going through. We just pray your peace and your healing over him and all others who are uh, sick or facing uncertainty in these times. And Lord, we lift up our country, our leaders at every level of government elected and appointed, and we pray for them. We pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. We lift up our men and women in uniform who serve to protect and defend our Constitution, and we pray that you would watch over them and keep them safe. We pray especially for those who are in harm's way asking that you would bring them home safely at the right time. And Lord, for those military families that are separated due to their service, we pray that you would pour out a special measure of your grace 
upon those troops and their families at home. Use us to minister that grace and love to those who are in need in that way and other ways. And Lord, bless your church as we worship you here this morning and as your church worships you around the world. May your word go forth through the mouths of your people and not return to you empty. We lift up the missionaries that we support in Guatemala, in Laredo, Texas, in Cuba, in Beirut, Lebanon, and elsewhere in the Middle East, and we just pray your blessings over those works of your spirit, and we lift up the young churches that are being started in Texas in our denomination, in Katy, in New Braunfels, and in Austin, and we just pray your blessing over them. Be with us this morning. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lead us into a deeper understanding of your love and grace as we study your word and worship you there. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, we are in the midst of a sermon series called Messiah Song, and this is a journey through the book of Isaiah. And one of the connections that one of our church members made when we when we were when I was sort of muddling around with this idea was that Handel's Messiah, the the German composer who lived in England, that doesn't make any sense, but that's what he was. Um, uh, he did a, a, he, one of his great opuses, other than like, you know, water music, which is very enjoyable, um, but he wrote a, a, I don't know what you call it, a symphony, a concerto, a oratorio um, called The Messiah. And much of what he was drawing from in that oratorio, in terms of the content that he was developing, came from the book of Isaiah. Not exclusively, but largely. And so we've been looking at the book of Isaiah as a song, and as a, as a song of our hearts, and as the song that God is singing either to us or through us. And so that's where we're journeying together over the course of these next few weeks. Um, as we approach Easter, we want to land in Isaiah chapter 53, which is a beautifully and powerfully messianic passage um, that fits the Easter celebration powerfully. And so we're going to just kind of study our way up to that point, and then we'll probably study our way through the end of the book before the Youth Summer Sermon Series uh, in, in June or July begins. But that's the plan, and we are currently in chapter 9. Now, let me also explain. We're not trying to cover every chapter of the book of Isaiah. There are 66 of them. And we are just kind of trying to hit the high points. Um, and so I'm going to pick an excerpt out of a different section of the book, and we're going to progressively kind of work through the book over the course of this time. And the idea is to give you a feel for the flow of the book, the content, the, the meaning in, in God's word in this portion of the Bible. As we do that, um, there are three themes that, that run through the book of Isaiah. There's this theme of separation, the, the devastation that our sin brings to our relationship with God and to our relationship with each other. And we're summarizing that as a state of separation. And then there's the theme of salvation that is also running throughout the book. And then there's this theme of sanctuary that God promises to his people an eternal rest, a peace that transcends the insanity of this world. 
And so we're looking at those three themes both as sort of sections of the work of Isaiah as well as how those threads are woven through each of those sections. And so today we're coming to chapter 9 of the book of Isaiah. And I want to start in a, in a slightly different place, but I think you'll see where I'm going with this. Um, I'm going to start in the Gospel of Matthew, and I'm going to read a couple of verses there. And what immediately follows what I'm reading in Matthew is the first two verses of the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. And so I'm going to read from Matthew, and then I'm going to roll straight into Isaiah, chapter 9. I think it'll work. We'll, we'll see. If it doesn't, I'll give you your money back. Okay, thank you. Somebody laughed. All right. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. This is the he in, in verse 12 is Jesus. And his cousin, John the Baptist, has been arrested uh, and then subsequently he is executed. But this is the, the point that Jesus hears this news from Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I am always just amazed at how this prophet 600 some odd years before the birth of Jesus could have understood what was coming. There's really no human explanation for these words being written at the time they were composed. That 
that Isaiah would have seen the, the Christ child, the Son of God, the, the presence of God himself being born into this world, the hope that that would bring, the light that would burst into the darkness of the human soul and shine forever to bring us hope and peace and rest eternal. And so I, I want us to look at this passage as a call to rejoice as we would at the birth of a baby, to rejoice, to just marvel, to thank God for what he has done for us. And to begin that rejoicing, we as God's people see here in this passage that we are to step into the light of his love, the light of the Messiah. So to step into that light, those first couple of verses in this chapter talk about darkness. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'll just guess that there have been days that were dark, that there have been episodes in your life that darkened your hopes that shattered your dreams, that challenged your fears. And it is into that darkness that the hope of the Messiah bursts forth, that we are to see his light break into this land of darkness in our own hearts and in our own world, in the same way that it did in the prophecy here. The the land about which Isaiah is prophesying in this passage, there's, and and prophecy often works this way, there's a, like if here is Isaiah, here's the near future, and then there's this farther off reality that he's also pointing to at the same time. So he's saying that this, this land north of Judah where he's prophesying is a land that has been overrun by foreign armies that it's currently occupied and not free, and that there will be hope, there will be light that breaks into that land of darkness. And so there is a point in the near future that that prophecy will be fulfilled when God's people are released from captivity and return to the promised land. And then there's the longer for fulfillment of that prophecy when Jesus goes to Galilee and resides there, and basically develops his ministry from there. That light of the Messiah is living in this place that once was in darkness. And so if, I hope you can see that there's, the, there's a near-term aspect and a long-term as- aspect, and often the prophets talk about them as if they are the same thing. And so we see in this passage that we are to step into that light. And I think it's important that we be able to give God our anguish, to be honest with him. And I want to just, I don't know if this is encouragement or discouragement, but your anguish is real. You're not making this up. Being human is not a cakewalk. It's, It's a struggle to be a Christian 
is to, is to wrestle through all of these things that are part of our faith, that we can't see or touch, but that are still real and give us hope in the midst of that darkness. So the darkness is real. I want you to hear that. I want you to be honest with your anguish, and I want you to be open with God. And those of you who were on the, the Tuesday night Zoom last week got a beautiful example of this as one of our participants just shared a very real um, aspect of, of their own time of darkness and the work of God, the hope of God, the light of God shining into that space in their life. But that's what we want to be able to do is to take that anguish and deliver it to the foot of the cross where it can be healed and, and spoken into and where light can shine upon it. And so to do that, we have to be honest and open. And we give God our anguish and we are to open our spiritual eyes to see the light, see the light of his love. That the light of God when it shines into darkness, it allows us to have hope. It allows, we are to allow ourselves to have hope. I, so, I don't know if you've ever been in personal despair or depression, but the, the tendency is to isolate yourself from others. You don't want to be around other people. And then the the further tendency is to sort of pretend like that's not where you are when you are around other people. And you, you bury things like hope and light because you don't want to, to look past your anguish. And what God is saying is that this is where he does his best work. In that anguishing soul, his light shines the brightest. And so we are to open our eyes of faith to allow ourselves to hope and to see what it is that God wants for us. And so into this land of, of darkness that he's speaking of, that in the near term is occupied by a foreign army, their freedoms are taken away, they are in bondage, he says a light will shine. There will be hope. There will be something that transcends their circumstances, that brings change. And we are to step into that light of the Messiah. And at the same time, as we do that, we are stepping into the freedom of the Messiah. That stepping into his light is stepping into his freedom. And it's a powerful truth that the freedom of God entirely transcends our circumstances. And I'll try to explain. So it doesn't matter where we are geographically for this to be true. So it doesn't matter where we are emotionally for this to be true. It doesn't matter where we are relationally with the other people in our lives for this to be true. That wherever we find ourselves, we can step into the light of God's love and into the freedom of the Messiah. To 
rejoice in our salvation, verse 3 tells us. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. This idea of abundant love, that we are accessing by faith something that is so much greater than the circumstances we are in, that we have access to this grace, to this light, to this hope, and into the freedom that is ours in Christ. That So let's go to verse 3 or 4, sorry, 3. You see where it says, you have multiplied the nation, singular. That's a reference to the, the nation that's cap, its capital is Jerusalem. And in the midst of that capital is a temple. And in the midst of that temple is an altar where sin is atoned for, where people come with their sacrifices to represent their guilt and for it to be atoned for by the blood of those animals. And of course, this is all a pointing toward. The blood of an animal doesn't atone for human sin, but it points us toward the fact that we need atonement. We need the cleansing by the blood of an innocent one. And that innocent one will be the Messiah. And so when Isaiah says that God has multiplied the nation, he has multiplied the place where salvation comes to earth. That is the very same temple in which Jesus will be consecrated as a baby. And so this is the place, and this is what Isaiah is referencing when he says this. It's, a, it's an image of salvation that we are to rejoice in that salvation that God has dealt with our state of separation. He has atoned for our sin through the work of his son on the cross. We are to give God our sin and we are to enjoy his blessings. This is the rejoicing part that I don't know if you can imagine I'm, I'm not a farmer, right? No surprise. Um, but this field that has been harvested and the wheat is piled up and winnowed out and there's just this big golden pile of glory at the end of a harvest. And everyone who participated just looks at it and says, thank you, Lord, for this provision because it represents their future, their stability, their ability to grow their families and this is the joy of our salvation, that we are looking at an abundance of love, of grace, of forgiveness, and we can have joy in what God has done for us. And so stepping into the freedom of the Messiah involves rejoicing in our salvation, in stepping into that abundance and celebrating what God has done. And it involves feeling the relief that the Messiah brings. The burden of our hearts, mainly our sin, has been lifted. The yoke 
that he places upon us is light. His burden is light. And we are able to walk in the light of his love in a new way where we are not burdened by our sin, but we are lifted in our hearts to see God's love. Let me just take you quickly to Matthew chapter 11, verses 29 through 30, where Jesus tells us to take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And Isaiah reminds us that the burden of our sin is lifted by the Messiah. And verse 5 is a reminder that the battle is over. That those warriors' clothings will be burned in the fire. There's no need to go to war with God or each other again. We have peace through the Messiah. And so these, these beautiful, powerful metaphors that Isaiah continues to unroll throughout his work are reminders to us that the Messiah brings light, the Messiah brings freedom, and we are to be those who step also into the peace of our Messiah, knowing that he will shoulder the burden of our sin. And this is in, I'm looking in verse 6 of chapter 9 right now, this unbelievable articulation of this child to be born and what he will do. And I just want you to think about this for a second. God is coming into the world, and I'm talking about the God, the creator of the universe, is going to be born as a baby and laid in a feeding trough in a tiny little town in the middle of nowhere. He's not being born in Rome or Constantinople or Alexandria or pick the famous place. He's being born in a tiny little town, a village, and laid down in a feeding trough. But that baby, did you hear what Isaiah says about him? That that, that baby will put his shoulder to the plow the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wow. Now that's a baby name. And we are reminded here that we in order to step into the peace of the Messiah, we are to come under the shoulder of Jesus. To let him shoulder not only the burden of our sin, but all of our burden of being human. That we can rest in his strength. He is mighty. He is the everlasting father. He is the pillar of this universe and we can rest under that.
We can rest in his strength and we can rest in his grace. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the prince of peace. I, I was in high school when my journey of faith became real. I, my mother was just a faithful, wonderful, is a wonderful, beautiful, faithful Christian. And she had prayed for me all those years. Um, but I was not at peace. I was not at peace with God. I was not at peace with myself. I was not at peace with the people around me. And I was terribly mistaken at what life was all about. I thought it was all going to be up to me. That it was left in my hands. And I was terrified by that. And I was also um, rebelling against that. And just literally one evening at a, at a Young Life summer camp, a Christian summer camp, I was, we were in North Carolina, and I listened to this man explain the gospel. And I'd heard this at least a dozen times before growing up from my mom, from my church, from other places. But this time, something changed. My heart was different. God had opened a door, and he had walked in through it. And what was so ironic for me is I didn't, like, hear him knock he just kind of kicked it in and said, hey, quit being an idiot, right? I love you, I forgive you, and I want you to have something that you could never possibly get for yourself. I want you to have peace. And this passage and many others became true to me that day, that our God is a, is a mighty God, that he's a wonderful counselor, he's an everlasting father, and he is my prince of peace. We can all have that as we come under the shoulder of our Savior. To step into the peace of the Messiah is to come under his shoulder and to come into his kingdom. This last verse that we have printed here today. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. This idea that we are brought into a, a kingdom, a we have a mission, we have a king, we have a purpose. And part of that is that we are to be a part of making things right in this world. This is a theme you will see repeated throughout the book of Isaiah. That once God has broken into your heart, once he has dealt with that which separated you from him, and he has brought you into his grace and his freedom and given you his peace, he wants us 
to walk with him into this world to make things right. To leave the world better than we found it. To express his love and his forgiveness as he has demonstrated it to us, we demonstrate it to others. And so we are to be those who become a part of making things right. That's why he put us here. And we are to, for the first time in our lives, truly begin to live in harmony with others. This is no small thing, but I'll tell you this. This this verse says that this will be accomplished by the zeal of our God. Not by Tom figuring it out for himself. Not through our cleverness or whatever you want to call it. But that, that God's passion is to see us brought out of darkness into his light, to be brought into the freedom of his kingdom, and to find the peace with him that allows us to live in harmony with each other. Will you pray with me? God, our loving Father, we marvel at your word that hundreds of years before that baby was born, your truth about him was known. It was revealed, it was shared, it was expressed, it was lived out. And Father, that is our prayer, that we would know that peace, that love, that forgiveness and grace that only comes through the Messiah that you sent into this world. And that as a result of stepping into the light of your love and the freedom of our souls, that we would be at peace with you and with each other. We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.